Love the control. Love the command. Love the spacebar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds Community Radio from Chapel FM Art Centre. And that was music that is to be used in a new production by Leeds Art Centre, Rope. And in a moment I'm going to be talking to Spike Marshall, who is the director of this new production. Uh, we're also going to be hearing uh, a radio play uh, by Sekai Lynch that was produced in association with Leeds Playhouse. That's all on Love the Words this evening. First of all, though, I just want to say something about writing on air, which is only three weeks away, three weeks and a little bit away. It starts on the 24th of November, and there's six days of broadcasting, 80 programmes. Uh, Literature Festival on the radio, masses of stuff to listen to, all on the theme of missing. So uh, you'll be able to just a few days time to go on the website and see everything that's on and plan your fortnight because it, it actually lasts from friday the 24th of november right through to the 3rd of november december so here we are in studio one i've got spike with me now hello spike hello it's very nice to have you here and uh, yes yeah, so you, the, the production is called rope and i think i saw years ago an alfred hitchcock film that title is it anything to do with that yes uh the alfred hitchcock movie is a screen adaption of uh, rope it was directed in the mid 1940s and takes the basic elements of the patrick hamilton play uh, which was written in 1929 and does a very american spin on it so it's a very very slick thriller and kind of is very tense and very kind of dark with a wonderful kind of um heroic performance from uh, jimmy stewart as kind of like the professor who's onto kind of the scheme and it's a yeah, it's a very well-made version of a play that's actually quite a lot more complex and a lot more bitter than you would assume. And it's kind of what drew me to 
rope was my love of the film and my love of the concept. And then actually reading the play and starting to get an understanding of who Hamilton was. It really, really drew me to it. So Hamilton was a, a novelist, wasn't he, as well as a playwright. And, and didn't he also write uh, Gaslight? Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. So Hamilton wrote Gaslight and he wrote several um, novels. There's a very famous one which whose names just kind of escaped me, but he's a fascinating figure because I've described him to the cast as almost like an English Charles Bukowski. He was someone who kind of like came from relative wealth, but just absolutely a bored kind of uh, middle-class English society at the time and would find himself kind of hanging out in bars and pubs and just, like, finding himself working alongside kind of the uh, the working classes. And it kind of informs a lot of his work. So Gaslight, the play you're on about, is very much a play about people not being heard and about the voiceless. And what is really interesting about Rope is that it has all of the uh, pretensions and style of what would just be a fairly standard kind of play of the time. So it's uh, it's essentially a drawing room play. There's farcical elements in, in it. There's lots of kind of very middle class people saying very middle class kind of things. But then you read the set description and you read the descriptions of the characters and you realise that Hamilton just loathes everyone in the play. Like, it's just a very incendiary play in a lot of ways and it's designed as kind of almost a way to kind of just really poke and prod at kind of like what society is right now and kind of it's there, there is elements where as much as it's a fun thriller and it's a very big black comedy you are also supposed to kind of lament what society has become that's interesting yeah i mean i i, I gaslighting to gaslight somebody hmm. is very very much a phrase that we is very current at the moment hmm. and i just thought yeah i thought recently i thought god there was a film called Gaslight. I must come from there. I was, so I watched the film, and yeah. uh, it's fascinating, actually. It's a really interesting idea. But mm. it's, um, yeah, I mean, Rope sounds a little on the dark side. Would that be true to say? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, very... <laughs> giving too much away. <laughs> it's a very macabre play. Essentially, the concept is that uh, two students have murdered one of their fellow students... And they didn't hate the student. They didn't kind of have any ill will towards him. They didn't rob him. They didn't get any, anything out of it. But they just wanted to prove that they could. Mm. And the two students, uh, Charles Grinello and Wynne Brandon, have kind of like just done the deed before the play starts and have dumped the body in a chest. And Grinello, who's the more pragmatic of the two, just wants to essentially dump the chest in a river and just get on with their business and get on with their lives. But Wynne Brandon is kind of obsessed with these Nietzschean ideas of kind of like the will to act and the will to power and so in her mind the ultimate kind of expression of what she's done is to have this chest in this room and then invite people over to have a party and the entire play is essentially when kind of pressuring people and pushing people and seeing if they're going to crack so I've said to the cast numerous times that the rope in the title is kind of the rope that's been used to strangle Ronald Kentley, who's the body in the box. It's the rope that's the threat to Charles Grinello and Wynne Brandon. If they get found, they'll be hanged. But it's also these invisible ropes that, like, Brandon encircles people in and kind of forces them to essentially abide by decorum and, you know, divide uh, abide by politeness. And so she does increasingly kind of outrageous things and everyone's far too stullified by kind of what's the appropriate thing to do at dinner to really challenge her on it. And so it's a really interesting kind of 
idea. Yeah, absolutely. And that sort of idea of just killing somebody because to see if they can it's it's quite a, it's, it reminds me of uh, you know Camus and uh, L'Etranger you know the idea of just being quite detached from something horrific that you're doing it seems very sort of mid mid 20th century really um, and I, I, it really makes me you're making me want to go and read Patrick Hamilton I've never read a novel by him but he sounds absolutely fascinating and did he was this a big hit, stage hit I know Gaslight was it made him quite a lot of money didn't it yeah so Rope was kind of exceptionally well received at the time it had kind of like like an initial run in 1929 and then kind of almost immediately had kind of like a a run again kind of like uh, in 1930 so the revival was really really quick and it's become something of like a uh, of a classic hit within theatre company's repertoire that essentially people know how to do this quite well because it does no scene changes it's a devilish concept so it's really it's a nice sell and kind of it's this fairly small cast and it really gives people kind of like something to get their teeth into. But I do think the Alfred Hitchcock film kind of supplanted kind of the the the, the concept of it, concept of in people's minds. And I think if people think of Rope, they think of kind of the Hitchcock movie. And in terms of plot structure, it's still very much the same, but it just, just lacks that kind of real acerbicness that Patrick Hamilton has and that real kind of just loathing that's in it it's a very it, it's a dark plane in terms of kind of like just the concept of murdering someone but it's also a dark play just in terms of everyone just being face to force the reality of kind of what's happened and it's kind of and especially the version that we're creating for Leeds Art Centre is really really kind of like tying into that that kind of like it's a far more broody kind of affair than like you would probably have had because as I was saying, it's something that's a bit of a stock play within like companies, kind of uh, for companies, and so there's a hundred versions of this, which is essentially is kind of like just regular, like re regular country house or flat, even kind of like with you know 1920s decoration, everyone in black and white because it's all of the period, and everyone just being very <clears throat> effete and mannered. And I kind of wanted to almost. The concept I had was essentially we've had an American version of what Rope looks like. What would happen if essentially a British production company had done a version of Rope around the same time? And I kind of decided, well, what if Hammer Horror had done an adaptation mm. of Rope? And so that's kind of mm. the vibe we're going for, which is those heightened emotions and stuff that's a bit more impressionistic and a bit bigger and just a bit more kind of maybe bleak. Great. Um, and so Leeds Art Centre, tell us about Leeds Art Centre, because one... You know, when you think of you think of the the, the title, it leads out. You think of a building. You think, well, is there a Leeds Art Centre? We're we're an East Leeds Art Centre. What what is Leeds Art Centre? So Leeds Arts <coughs> Centre is a uh, charitable organisation that's been running for about seventy five years, and it's essentially just a nexus of people who are wanting to essentially create art like the the s in arts is really important to me because uh even though our main stock in trade is kind of like putting on plays it there is that there is the capacity for kind of other parts of you know artistic expression to be part of it you know mm -hmm. we have uh, playwrights within our ranks we have documentary makers within our ranks we have people wanting to get into poetry we have improv people within our ranks and so as a society, its main focus has been putting on kind of like productions, and 
for like the last 75 years, it's kind of put on at least about three or four productions at least a year. And one of the really nice things, if you go to our website and look at our archive, you can kind of look back at all of the shows we put on all the way back to kind of at least the 1950s. So mm. I think Leeds Art Centre put on a version of Rope in 1958, and there's actually some very scant, but still like, still there, information about it, including a couple of newspaper clippings that have been digitised. Mm. And so... It's as an amateur dramatics group, it's got a long and established history, and it's um, it's a nice kind of group to be involved in because people think of amateur dramatics as being a dirty word, but to me, the core thing about amateur is that essentially, kind of like you're taking people who maybe don't have preconceived notions about the best way of doing things and just letting them have kind of like mm. a have a crack at things. And sometimes you get absolutely amazing kind of like performances from amateur actors. You get really interesting out of the box ideas from amateur directors. You get really interesting things. And like Ken Loach uses kind of like amateur actors a lot in his films to, ex- to exceptional effect. And so mm. to me, the difference between kind of amateur films and professional theatre other than the obvious money aspect of it is that like it's very much about developing and nurturing people like essentially you are letting people have a go at things and creating a space for them to do that and so I hadn't really been involved in theatre whatsoever until about two years ago and due to kind of like mentorship and support and just being able to see how the directors worked and just the general faith of like LAC and I they like entrusted me to essentially put on one of their four shows in this season and so that was like a that was a really big honor for me and it also just really shows kind of like how good like Leeds Art Center is at actually kind of developing and nurturing talent. Absolutely. Well, in a way, it sounds very similar to what we do. I mean, in in the sense that people come here sometimes without any, any experience of broadcasting or making music or doing theatre, and we make that possible for people. So, in a way, the word amateur, I think, is quite... It's a bit outdated, isn't it, really? Mm. I, mean, I suppose you go back to the root of it, it means from the Latin to mm. to love, you know, mm. so amo. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's you do something for love rather than being paid for it. I think professionals might say, oh, oh, you know, I enjoy what I do. But quite often they don't, actually. Whereas I think, you know, you really can guarantee that people who get involved in putting in mm. as much time as you have really love what they're what they're doing i mean f- to come from a non-theater background to be and to be within two years to be uh directing a, a, a play i mean how does that feel you uh, were you nervous about it excited about it or a mixture of everything uh i was very excited and very nervous because it's 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 a big responsibility essentially you're playing with the house money first off so you want to make sure that kind of like you're not as you're essentially not kind of like losing money on your production but I think the most important thing is that you are dealing with people who are doing this for the love of it Mm. and you are dealing with people who are kind of doing this because they're interested in it and wanting to develop and for me it was the responsibility of essentially kind of in the the most blunt way possible just being a good dad to the Mm. cast and the crew of kind of like just being the person who's essentially creating like safe places for people to express themselves and Mm. making sure that kind of people who are trying new things are kind of getting all the support they need and making sure that they get the right amount of praise and the right amount of recognition for it and that there's a really strong kind of and and within Rote there's this really strong ethos around everyone just supporting each other and really kind of like being quite a warm and kind of cohesive unit which has been lovely to see and like one of my favorite 
uh, stories from Rope is that um, the costumes in Rope are absolutely stunning. They really are beautifully done, and they were designed by Jay Lockwood, who had had nothing to do with theatre up until, like, April this year and had never really been involved in kind of, like, designing costumes whatsoever. And I kind of forcefully inducted him into uh, the props team for our previous show, Moonstone. And then as we were talking, I was talking about having a really strong idea about what I want for the costumes, but, like, having to figure out how to actually... how to get them to look appropriate. And Jay, despite having never done that, just said that he would do the costume design and so took it really seriously kind of drew out kind of like all these beautiful diagrams went and spoke to kind of like a historical expert from the time to understand what all the rules were and did this fantastic job of kind of getting the period details right enough so it it reads correctly but also adding colour and vibrancy to it in a way that kind of like you don't often get in period shows and so seeing Jay kind of like going from having no real kind of experience with theatre whatsoever to having the confidence to be able to do this and make these really beautiful designs and seeing how amazing kind of like that looks Mm. on stage now. We had a costume test on Friday and it was just stunning we had a photographer there taking pictures in black and white and there are some shots that just look like they're from a film like they just it, the, the costuming is just really really beautiful and it's just a really great example of how leeds art center just develops people yeah, great isn't it and um i mean so you you had you acted before how did you come into it through did you know you wanted to direct from the start or did you act first uh i've uh no i've not really acted before i've kind of like been involved in some sketch comedy in the past and i've done some stand-up comedy but i've never really been an actor but uh you know because of its community roots kind of like the way i got inducted into it was via a friend like mm-hmm. my uh, friend is uh camilla rasher and she directed a production in 2022 called dinner which we actually rehearsed at uh, chapel fm so i spent quite a lot of time here in late 21 22 and she brought me on as her assistant director and because i knew nothing about theater and i didn't quite real really know what the role of the assistant director was i kind of made her life a bit of a hell just because (laughs) like i really didn't know what i was doing but she was very calm and very patient and she like kind of like just just explained kind of what the process was and kind of like dinner turned out to be an absolutely incredible show and it really kind of showed the nuts and bolts of how to do things. And so I did a small test show with LAC, like behind closed doors later that year, and then got permission to do a full show. And then to make sure that I knew what I was doing, I then kind of, I then did kind of um, backstage roles on all the free productions beforehand. So I did publicity for Enya Lucas, who did a show called Scarborough earlier in the year, which was uh, really stunning, just an absolutely beautiful play. I believe you interviewed her. Yeah. Uh, I helped with uh, props on Chicken Soup, which was directed by Zoe Friedman, who I think has also been uh, interviewed when she did Little Women a couple of years back. And then I led on props for Moonstone. And so I got to see three different directors and how they worked and kind of like started to think about kind of Mm. how that all. like taking ideas from all of them and kind of like synthesizing them great stuff well we're going to hear the second piece of music before we come back to you spike so tell us about the first piece of music first of all we heard was by purcell why did you choose that so i chose it for two reasons well actually three reasons the first one is that this is quite a heightened version of rope and so i wanted the audience to be in the headspace of kind of like what this was that it was a bit more macabre and so that music's very powerful and very arresting 
the entire aesthetic of the set is that it's a funeral, that essentially we're setting out this entire set as a funeral, so having a funeral march as the piece of music that kind of, like, you hear first off also puts you into that mindset. But I also really wanted to explore the idea of Brandon and Granillo as essentially teen killers and the idea behind that, and so... Um, to me, I hear that piece of music and I think of A Clockwork Orange because uh, kind of Wendy Carlos did kind of like a... Was it Wendy Carlos? It did a, uh, an electronic version of that music, which I think was in A Clockwork Orange. And the second piece of music is also that theme of something that's essentially about, like, teen killers. Okay, well, let's hear this piece by Carl Orff then. So, you're listening to Love the Words here in Studio One, Chapel FM Arts Centre on East Leeds uh, Community Radio. I'm talking to Spike Marshall from uh, Leeds Arts Centre, who, who is directing the, the most recent production 
there, which is rope coming up very soon. But Spike, so it's it's been lovely talking to you. But but what's happening next then with Leeds Arts Centre? So we've got two things set in stone for next year. One is that we are doing a uh, a small festival in February and March, which is going to be smaller scale shows, which is like uh, highlighting writing done by kind of members of Leeds Arts Centre. So it's going to mm. be something that's a bit more in-house and there's going to be lots of opportunities to get on stage, lots of opportunities opportunities to get involved behind the scenes. If you've got pieces of writing, maybe you can like see what it's like to have your writing performed. And so that's going to be just for members, essentially. So if you're a member of Leeds Arts Centre, you'll be able to like either perform in these shows or see these shows. That's going to be really exciting. Our April show is still being decided, but in July... Uh, my uh, friend Ben Hopwood, who's also in the cast of Rope, is putting on a production of A Midsummer's Night Dream in the main stage that the character works, and the pitch is very exciting. Uh, he's wanting to remind people that Shakespeare's can be really, really funny, and so he kind of like wants Midsummer's Night Dream to be like a very ribald, very kind of energetic, very vigorous kind of show. And so, kind of, the designs that he's thinking about is all very exciting, and it's all kind of, and it's going to be a very big, grand vision. And so, what Ben's going to be doing is uh, reaching out to kind of like people across the region who have got kind of like arts backgrounds to see if they can help him kind of like maybe kind of construct kind of bits of set or provide kind of like neon like uh, wall art or do kind of anything that's like could help essentially create this very vibrant aesthetic and so he has asked that if anyone's interested in kind of getting involved in this show Mm. to if they could send an email to info at leadsartscenter.org.uk and that's uh, .org.uk and that's arts with an s that be really really nice and essentially kind of what what he's really wanting to do is essentially use that community element to make something that's essentially a Leeds community production of a Midsummer's Night Dream. Great. And it will be in the main stage. Yeah yeah so it's uh, gonna be- in in when again in summer yeah it's going to be uh, it's about a month after midsummer itself so it's going to be i think the like the late july i'm i'm i should know the dates exactly but i don't but it's going to be like late july details will be on the carriage works website soon and it's going to be uh, it's going to be an absolutely amazing show. Like Ben's mm. kind of like uh, been involved in the Midsummer's Night Dream as part of a Royal Shakespeare Company production years ago. Is this something that he's kind of like really passionate about? He's essentially going to teach actors what Shakespeare means and kind of like really get them to understand mm-hmm. what the language is, so that people are actually saying are actually saying things rather than just reciting words. He's going to really try and involve as many people as he can and the aesthetic that he has in mind at the moment is very interesting it's all it's like kind of like neon wall art and kind mm. of it's going to be a very cool version of a midsummer's night dream and i think people who come to see it are going to i'm going to be reminded that shakespeare's really funny and that kind of it mm. can be a really good time at the theater well that sounds great spike yeah well thank you very much and we know ben of course he's done quite a bit here over the years actually <laughs> ben Hopwood, that mm. is. Yeah, uh, I think he wants to uh, like talk to you at some point next year about Midsummer if possible. So right, quite okay. nice. Well, yeah. he's very welcome anytime. Great. Well, thank you very much for talking to us. And so Rope is on soon. Yeah, next uh, Wednesday it starts. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So it's it's selling very well. But I th- maybe uh, if you phone up and you're disappointed, the other will there be returns and so on. Well, there could be returns. That's all uh, handled by the carriage works. We're in a very rare position where when I kind of. Uh, uh, we've never sold out show like as quickly as we have before. So I found out this weekend that all four showings are sold out now, which is very exciting. So 
So yeah, maybe if you phone up the carriage works and ask very nicely, you might find that someone's like essentially wants the return of tickets and you can kind of get yeah. slotted in there. But yeah. from yeah, but yeah, it's fully sold out. Well you'll have to do a repeat run in that case. Absolutely, maybe take it on tour. Absolutely. Bring it here. Yeah, that'd be great. It's great great space upstairs. Yeah, we could even do it as a radio play. You could do it as a radio play. Mm. Excellent. Oh, it's all happening. All right. Well, thank you, Spike. And we're gonna hear now a radio play produced with Leeds Playhouse, but by Seikai Lynch. It's called Wax. Wax by Seikai Lynch. Welcome, listeners, old and new, to another episode of Hearts Howlers. Remember, sisters and brothers, you is my kin. I'm loving you always like my skin. For those new to the show, it come about after my divorce in 2005. Why, that nearly got me, you know. The only thing that really got me through was the music. The way I see it. The greats are going round and round on the wax for us. You get me? They're reaching out and shaking you and saying, My lover and brother, you are not alone. Sister Dove, cry here on my shoulder, love. <laughs> well, when I was going through them things here, there were certain tracks that I just clung on to. Fingertips in the vinyl groove as my world span. You get me? Oh, boy. And it spins, you know. But the tunes got me to a place where I could eat and sleep and breathe. That's why I'm spinning for you, my brethren and kin. Because I know there's some hearts holding out there tonight. Every session... I encourage them brave folks that feel it in them to come put their goodbyes into the universe for those lovers lost or left. So whilst we wait for a call, I'm going to open up the show with Roberta Flack's versions of Do What You Gotta Do. You young'uns might have heard Riri playing with that line. I just wanted you to know I loved you better than your own did. Oh, playing the strings, she plays the heart strings. For those who had to go and those who had to stay, this is for you, but it passes. I promise it passes if you let it. Stay true and let it pass through. Me love your likeness, skin. I hope you can see the moon tonight. She's a beaut. I'm on my way down for a job, some scaffolding with Sag. I've not been to London since... I'm so sorry for what I did to you. There was so much anger in me. It took so long for me to not feel sick when I thought about you and him. But it was no excuse. For the longest time, I didn't feel like you wanted to leave me. 
Did you want to leave me? I've been trying to think of reasons. There were so many things I've wanted to ask you. But then I got lost in thoughts of you, of him, of what I did when you told me, of hating myself, of self-pity, pathetic. And then that becomes the reason, that he was more of a man. What does that even mean? And yet, it isn't true. I know what we had. I just don't understand what happened. Welcome to the show. You are live on air. Hi, Billy. Thanks for the show. Me and our Archie, we used to listen every now and then. I lost him a couple of years ago to cancer. It had spread from his bowels. He were only 52. We went all over, we did. Up some highest peaks in world. Switzerland, South Africa, America, Greece. He loved his moussaka, did our arch. His favourite place was Thailand. They've got a saying Thais do. It's my pen lie. The R in it sounds like an L. Well, means if you can't do out about it, let it go. And last year I did. I went to Topakaumakoju in Thailand. I didn't have his ashes around. He'd said he'd wanted to be buried, just in case he wasn't properly dead-like and he could dig him sen up and come back and knock ten bells of shit out whoever I'd shacked up with. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. I'm not meant to swear on radio, am I? You're right, sister. I don't care much about that. Go on with your story. Oh, all right then. Sorry. Well, you won't believe it. I used to say he were like a tiger. Just to him like and, well... I were on the second day. I'd gone with one of these guides. There were a few of us, like. He'd gone off to the toilet, and I just went for a moment to me, saying, well, I swear, this tiger just came right close. I proper shit myself. But it just stopped and looked right at me. You know when you just know. And I knew it were him. I know that it were him. Telling me you were all right. I know it sounds mad, but I know it deep in me heart. And on playing, on way back, I met Fred and we just clicked. He'd lost his wife to cancer too. Well, we started doing these sponsored climbs to raise money and that for cancer. He can't climb for toffee, bless him, but I don't know. I just wanted to come on and say for people listening, for every door that closes, another one opens. Everything, everything happens for a reason. Whoa. Thank you, sister, for coming on and sharing that with everyone. When you said about that tiger, I got them cosmic chills. All of it. Just all of it. Thank you. I'm listening and thinking this woman's soul just be glistening down the telephone. So grateful for your call. Thank you. Keep glowing and growing, sister. You never got the chance to meet my dad. He wasn't what dads are like in a lot of films. He was full of love, vocal about it. He hugged you, shared affection, especially as he got older. But 
He also had his troubles. He'd lost his parents young, so he had to be strong, and he was. But even when things weren't bad, he carried this weight around with him, a kind of gravity. Like the warden had given him a little extra time, but he just got the nod to wrap it up. Like he had to go back somewhere he didn't want to go. A physics teacher of mine, Mrs Harris, well, she used to be obsessed with this something called the Archer's Paradox. It happens when you shoot a longbow. The, well, the arse end of the arrow is central to the target because it's against the string, but the tip is pointing off somewhere left of the target because the wood of the bow is central and you're resting the shaft against it. But when you shoot the arrow, if your aim's right, you hit the target. Well, it happens because the arrow's bending back and forth, oscillating, Mrs Harris used to say, and spinning in flight, so it's constantly adjusting. If you look at it another way, the arrow wants to go somewhere else. It doesn't want to hit the target, but because it's spinning and bending, it has no choice. With my dad, it was like that. It was like he had to obey what was acting upon him, that the world had bent and spun him, and despite wanting to go this way or that, he had no choice. He knew where he was going to end up. The spinning got bad, and Mum asked, but she said he was never able to tell her exactly what was going on. When I was little, I was confused. I thought he had a black dog that he wouldn't let me see, that maybe it was really dangerous. And when I was really young, and I could be making this up, but I think I thought he had an imaginary friend. Anyway, he used to go quiet, my dad. And you do what they show you. And that's what I did. I learned to go quiet. And even when I left home, I kept it. Inherited it. And of course, I couldn't talk about it with him. And then he died. And I hated him for leaving me alone. Because he was the only one that I knew understood it. It felt like he'd taken the secret with him. He'd taken my tongue. But I loved him so much. I loved him like my skin. And I promised myself I would do everything I could to talk. To you. To whoever you were when I met you. We didn't need to feel so alone. try to erase you, the more that you appear. Ah, that line by Tom York just nailed me when I first heard it. Yes, why? I can talk about it now. But back then, jeez. Anyway, we're going to take another call now. Hi, your kindred. You're through to Billy Rubin and the collective consciousness on Hearts Howlers. Hi, Billy. This is Shikar. I know people wouldn't normally say the names on here, but this calling about a breakup, so I, 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 I just wanted to introduce myself. I guess I, 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 I'm calling because my brother Vivek. Well, my, my, my. 
kwa brother Vivek. He there were two cars. He was in the front one with our friend Benj. Benj. It's funny what you remember. Benj used to eat wafer ham from the packet. Full packs in one go. He'd only had his license a few weeks. It was a grey, two-litre MK3 Golf GTI. Lowered suspension. We were in the car behind Blue 1.4 Corsa. We were on our way to the cinema and, and I don't know how, but he just... He, he lost control. It spun and he hit the lamppost. You don't think out like that's going to happen in the afternoon. You were 18. When I got to the car, I, 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 I just wanted to say I miss him. I, I miss him. He was big, yeah. We laughed when he ran in football. But he held this bird's hand the week the car crashed. He'd wanted to kiss her, but he was too scared. And I've just been trying to get that image out of my head for ages. Of him holding her hand. The hope of it. I just... I just... Nothing's okay, Billy. How can anything ever be okay? Brother Lamb. I'm run through to hear you dealing with this. I don't know how much it will help, but James Baldwin said this thing that always stuck. Your suffering doesn't isolate you. Your suffering is your bridge. All I can say is thank you for sharing that. There'll be others out there that'll have heard. You have made it a little easier for them, just by knowing. You have made it a little bit more okay. A hole like this isn't just going to fill up. Shikar, it's not supposed to. People mean too much. But your heart knows a way to peace without words. Stay on the line, please. We got people... Train to help. Please stay on and let's see if we can start helping a little bit with his struggle. All right? <laughs> Don't worry, my friend. We'll get you through this. But something changed. I didn't know what to say. But you still loved me. And then you told me that you were pregnant. And I was so happy. When you said it wasn't mine, I broke. Because I knew something had changed. I knew we both needed something different. And I said nothing. And I was so angry with myself, with you, with this whole mess that we just keep living through telling ourselves it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. 
Maybe for some, love is worth fighting for, but it twisted me into a shape I shouldn't have been. And I should have left. Or talked, or... <laughs> the truth is, I knew it wasn't right. I couldn't put my finger on it. And without a reason, I stayed silent. Uh, maybe you couldn't either. Maybe to you, he was a door. But I knew you weren't happy. And if I'm honest, it wasn't right for me either. I loved you. But there's something that matters more than love. <laughs> I can't say what. But it meant I should have left before it got so far. I can't be sorry for things I didn't know, but I am. I'm so sorry for the pain it caused us. We didn't deserve it. It was such a waste of the people we were. But whatever happened, it doesn't matter anymore. Because I did it. I've learned to speak. Even if it's just for me. Brothers and brothers, thank you so much for listening. How many of us are pouring out at this moment, hmm? Even at this hour, we sit in our cars and think about the past and we pour. We think about the future and we pour some more. How many are behind their steering wheels or on their feet, pouring into the streets? How many tucked up in their beds, bleeding into their sheets? Take care of yourselves and each other. Thank you and good night. Once again, don't be afraid to become the new thing. I love you like my skin. Listen up, my kin. I love you like my skin. Peace. In Wax by Sekai Lynch, Billy Rubin was played by Everell A. Walsh. Frank was played by Luke Dixon. Caller 1 by Hopi Grace. And Caller 2 by Jag Sengera. Dream Reality Radio is a collaboration between Solby River and Leeds Playhouse. The director was Dermot Daly. The producer was Rio Matchett. And the sound designer was Louis Blatherwick for Naked Productions. There's been welcome support from Amy Leach, with dramaturgy provided by Dermot, Rio, Amy and Song. Thanks also to Jamie Smelt, Nadia Emam and Garant Rees for their work on developing the pieces. <laughs>